0: Welcome back to Big Feels of Work. Today's episode, we're going to talk about boundaries. Gareth, do you have any boundaries?
1: Uh, I'm pretty flexible. Uh...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I probably have quite a few, to be honest. I mm-hmm. say no a lot. Yeah. I've noticed. Yeah, you've <laughs> noticed. You, To be fair, you've helped coach me to do that. So, Careful what you wish for.
1: Yeah, I definitely, I had a a year, I think I had a year where I oscillated between practicing saying yes to embrace life and practicing saying no to make sure I wasn't dragged into things I didn't want to do. Yeah. And both were really good. And I think you're in your no phase. It's like every chance I get to be a firm no, I'm going to grasp it and go, no.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a powerful thing. When you've been... When your default is yes to everybody, finding your no is... Whew, oh, yeah. powerful stuff.
1: I'd say it's probably more important than finding your yes as a first mm. step. Mm.
0: Yeah. Now, specifically, what we're going to talk about today is boundaries in a professional context. Specifically, boundaries around working with someone in the gooey mess of human experience, mm. the thing that I wanted to start with—it's just a phrase that I came up with somewhere, and I quite like—which is finding the sweet spot of caring but not carrying. Ooh, some curious what you, Yeah, what do you make of that? Just, just off the top,
1: caring not carrying. it really sounds good.
0: <laughs>
1: sounds like you're a budding politician. Um, Does it
0: mean anything? Let's find out.
1: Yeah, I'd really want to know what you meant by carrying, because I think some of what we do, whether it's peer support, counselling, or in any way walking alongside somebody, there is, I think, an element of you, yeah, carrying. I could could see how that could work in that context as a, a legitimate thing to do.
0: Yeah, so I so perhaps it's kind of um, right from the start. I'm setting up a false dichotomy, as we tend to do in our worlds. It's not caring or carrying. Maybe it's about kind of just noticing which one you're doing at different times. I suppose for me, let me let me call back to something we t- we spoke about in some of our earlier episodes. Yeah. I remember talking about when I was in direct support work. I had two stints. I had two. About a year long each time. And in between I went on a big trip around the world. And the, in both cases, by the end of the year of working in direct support work, at about the nine-month mark, I found myself in this kind of sweet spot where I cared but I didn't care too much. Ooh. And that meant I was able to be present but not trying to solve things for people but also not overwhelmed. And then I would always in both cases, I got to this kind of too far bit <laughs> where I'd go into real like problem solving mode. I'd just yeah. go straight to, well, you know, this is happening because you keep doing that. Or yeah. why don't you tell your, your brother to fuck off or whatever, you know, yeah. obviously not those words, but like that kind of energy. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of started to look at it cause it happened both times. Both both years that I worked as a support worker, and I was like, maybe this is just the cycle. Maybe you kind of you start mm. and you kind of, you know, you you're deeply invested in a way that's quite overwhelming. Then you reach a spot where you're you're somewhere in between, and then you overcorrect, and maybe that's just the cycle.
1: It it could be, but I also think it's about fit. You know, so you've been doing big fields now for how many years? Would you
0: say three three, three years. years of the big fields club? Yeah.
1: And what I love about big fields, both the club and the big fields at work that we're talking about today, is it's kind of main uh, modus operandi is we haven't got the answers, hmm. but we are asking the same questions as you. And there's yeah. and the value of that it's there's value in being with people asking the same questions. And I've got some examples for you, but I think part of that. Um, when you've got that natural way of being in a sector that's like, you know, fix this person. And if you can't fix this person, discharge this person, move them on. You know, it's like a, you know, a manufacturing sort of plant thing. Yeah. But people who want to stay with the curiosity around it, it doesn't really tolerate that. So even if you're, it's you your own personal frustration, like, I'll oh, just go and get on with your life, or here's, here's the obvious answer that we both could see. You're in a world that doesn't really allow, you know, sort of reinforces that perspective.
0: It's an interesting topic, eh? so and, and I, I'm already realising as we jump in here that the word boundaries can mean five different things. Mm. You know, we might be talking about, do you disclose your own big feelings to the people you work with? We might be talking about, what does your relationship look like um, with someone you're working with? What are the rules, et cetera? I guess where we've started is more in the place of like, where does my shit end and theirs begin? (laughs) And that seems to be a constant theme for maybe it's you and I, maybe we're just hung up on this. But it seems to me quite central to this question of, again, whatever role you're in, what really is your role? What's your job? And the thing that brought up this topic for me was one of our listeners sent in as a topic suggestion. They phrased it as you can't save everybody. And my immediate response to that was, can you save anyone? Is that your job?
1: It's it's what we're told is our job. Mm. You know, nothing makes me cringe more than reports of people who've saved somebody's life. It's like, you didn't save my life. I saved my life. You were there yep. while it was going on. And I, <laughs> I'm grateful for any useful contribution you made. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think it's, when you, again, this is something that we come back to time and again. It's it's how do you be in a place that has this implicit vibe that we're going to fix you. We've got a cure. We're in medicine. We deal with cures. When you know from your own experience that that's not even part of it. You know?
0: Yep. Yeah. So there's, there's something I want to say on this and then I want to move it to... Um, the kind of flip side of this, which some listeners might already be considering, which is more about how the work affects us Mm. and our boundaries in that sense. Mm. So we'll get there in a second, but just to finish this first point, you know, is it our job to save people? I have found over the years, particularly in recent years, I'm getting more and more comfortable in my personal life with friends of mine coming to me and saying, I'm having a really shit time. Yeah. And in particular, the thing I'm getting more comfortable with is is friends coming to me and saying, I'm having thoughts about death. Yeah. And the reason I've had to get more comfortable with that is because my partner went through that, a really long period of multiple trips down the rabbit hole to that, that scary place of I don't know if I'll be alive tomorrow. So I kind of had to learn um, drawing on both that experience and also the fact that in recent years, I've been a little bit to that place myself. Mm. I've kind of had to learn what's my shit and what's theirs. Mm. And one of the things I've noticed, and I've talked to Honor about this too, and she's noticed this with her friendships as well, is it seems that we've each become in our friend circle The person that people come to and say i'm having a really shit time and they know we won't freak out about it Mm. and but beyond that for me it's like i know i won't freak out about it Mm. so i'm not scared for you to tell me and i know when you walk away barring like very specific scenarios very specific confessions most of the time my response to someone even a really close friend saying i'm i'm having real shit time my response in my head and in my bones is you've got this
1: yeah and what was really pleasant when we when we started our recording today you know we were checking in doing levels and you went so how are you doing and i was like oh i'm pretty shabby actually and you're like yeah. "Oh yeah anyway if you could just move your mic a little to the left and, you know what i mean like you didn't go oh my god let's stop everything how, no how are you really how are you <laughs> It's like, yeah, he's probably (laughs) having a shabby day. That sounds like him. And I'm sure at some point, you know, you'll probably say, Oh, how were you the other day? But it's, I think what we get better at is signaling when it's like, you know, I'm having a shabby day and this is what I require of you. And sometimes, like, and you know, because we're such close friends, you know, if I just tell you I'm having a shabby day, I will let you know if that means, Hey, can we have a, a deep heart to heart? Yeah. Which is, It's really beautiful in our friendship, but I think it's something we could carry forward in our work.
0: Yes, I think that's really key. And I'm just thinking as you say that, in a way, that is the sweet spot. So when I talk about the sweet spot between, you know, call it caring too much, caring not enough, however you want to phrase Mm. it. Optimum caring. Optimum caring, which obviously is going to be a bit different in a personal relationship to a professional one, let's be honest. But I guess what I'm getting at is finding that sweet spot where... You can communicate, even sub-linguistically, just something in your manner and in your tone and in your presence in the room says, I give a shit and I trust you, you've got this.
1: I think that's the main bit. I really like the way you speak about this because it's it's empowering. Mm. So your response to me saying it's a shabby day empowers me to go, yeah. It's just a shabby day, not oh my god, you know. You don't, you don't sort of fan the flames,
0: yeah. You know, and that's a skill, no. yeah. And I'm already seeing five different ways that's, that's going to be complicated and look different given your role. Like, mm. I mean, if I'm literally the psychologist, you're coming into the room and you're going Bleh, with all the biggest stuff you've been holding on to for a week to bring to me. That's obviously there's layers and, and kind of nuance to this. I want to take this to the next part of the discussion, because I think it it connects directly here, which is the flip side of all this. So, so we, I suppose on the one hand, we're talking about, you know, how, how we are for those that come to us, Mm -hmm. but the flip side is how it affects us when people come to us. And, and so when I talk about, you know, caring, but not carrying, the fact is we do carry and partly what you said at the beginning, which is we sort of carry people when they're at their most vulnerable and they need a bit of carrying, but also we carry them with us. And you've talked about this before. Right, like yeah. you've talked about having people you've worked with one-on-one from years ago in your mind now, like years later.
1: Oh, when you say that, they all show up. I can see them all. I'm like, Oh yeah. Hey, you know. yeah
0: Hello there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still get, um, and maybe this is a, you know, speaks to some of the architecture of our brains And, and if you're a sensitive cat Maybe maybe the stuff kind of gets wedged in there a bit more Than it might for others But literally, yeah, I'll have certain words or phrases will Always trigger the little voice of someone I worked with years yeah. ago Yeah And it's just there And it's kind of a It can be a bit overwhelming and I think that early on in my uh, career as a, as a, in, in direct support roles, the message I got loud and clear was that that was something to be protected against. Yeah. That you have to hold people at arm's length. Yeah. Not just to be an effective professional with them, but for your own sake. And so I guess th- that's the bit I'd like to go to next, which is this question of how... How you can be perhaps more affected and, and take on the feelings and scenarios of others, possibly for years to come, long after you stop seeing them. How can you do that in a way that doesn't just overwhelm you?
1: Yeah, and I, I think it is a very much a, you know, there's no one size fits all. Like everybody kind of has their own capacity for that. For that, for that part of the carrying, you know, for the mm. you know the kind of underneath your skin kind of stuff, and yeah. and I think that changes over time. It changes with circumstance, and I think learning what works for you is the main thing to say because it's not, yeah, like I say, it's not one size fits all. I would say if you went back to a direct support role, which you kind of are anyway, because by you know, <laughs> your own admission, most of the people you know. There's some element of supportiveness in your relationships. You're not kinda down the pub talking about football on a Friday night, you know? Yeah. Different conversations with your pals and with your tribe (laughs) and with the big fields community in general.
0: Yeah. When you say it's 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 not one size fits all, Mm. I I wanna just share the the way that that I've made sense of it. Mm. And see what you think and see what people at home listening think. Often, particularly in those early years of working in mental health, the image you're given is a kind of explosive image. So we talk about being triggered. Mm. And I remember early on thinking, even the word trigger implies that I'm some kind of bomb or gun. <laughs> yeah. Or that the feelings are some kind of bomb or gun. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just like it's this very. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember thinking, I don't like that frame. And I recently came across a frame years and years later. This is probably a year or so ago. I found this image in the work. I think it was Jack Cornfield. For those of you who are into uh, Buddhist teachers and, and podcasts, I would suggest checking out Jack Kornfield's um, Heart Wisdom podcast. There's this image I think he was talking about, which is like if you play a violin in a room, mm-hmm and you pick a certain note and there's another violin or a cello sitting in the corner, that cello will resonate Mm. at the same frequency that you're playing your violin at. Yeah. And the point he was getting at was if you are kind of in relationship with someone else who's going through something big, if their frequency vibrates with your frequency, there's a kind of resonance there. So we can talk about that in terms of triggering if we want to, because it is painful often, so I get it. I understand why we talk about it in that kind of explosive language. But for me, I kind of prefer this sort of musical harmonic language. So it's like literally what you're experiencing resonates with me because I have the capacity for the same thing.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we had this conversation the other day, you and I, I don't know how esoteric we want to go, But we are vibrating, so we are literally making a sound. And I (laughs) I think when you get that resonance, it's not just a metaphor. I think it's a genuine, you know, you might be a C note and I might be a G and there we have a perfect fifth. So while you're resonating C and I'm resonating G, we are in literal harmony.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, what that makes me think is like literally half the time all the sound is, is ouch.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, piano, like... You, yeah, if you hit the wrong notes, it's like, oh, oh no, not that, you know. And I guess the child, like the beauty we've got in our lives, and it's a real privilege, is to some extent we get to sort of resonate with those who are resonating with us. Whereas when you're in a professional mm. role, the door opens and in comes a human being, anybody, in whatever vibration, and you have a job to to try and meet them where they are. So I don't think that's a bad thing. But I think yep. when you get that resonance, it's actually a really beautiful thing. So,
0: so when it hurts, when that resonance hurts, because sometimes it's bright and light and lovely yeah. and sometimes it's fucking painful and you, you're still thinking about them in the middle of the night. That's, that's still not a problem. It's painful, but it's not a problem. Yeah. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, like there's something there. You could, you could choose to go, oh, this is intrusive or, you know, I don't want this. Or you could choose to be curious about it and say, "Well, you know, what's going on?"
0: What I will say is that, in going back to this idea of the cycles, of like I say, when my times in in Ooh. support roles and even through big fields, there are times there are times when I engage much more with the emails I get than at other times. Mm. So, just by this very same token, that when it hurts, it's not a problem. That also means that whatever you do in response to that hurt isn't necessarily a problem either does that make sense so if i when i shut down and when i phone it in a bit and i have done that Mm. and i imagine those listening have done that at different times Mm. in your work there are times you are more present than others Mm. and i don't think that's a problem in itself either it might be a wake-up call it might be a reminder it might be all sorts of things might be a prompt to reflect but it's not in itself a problem
1: no and, and you know and again in the last episode we talked about you know these things being opportunities you know i think if someone's mm. under your skin and 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 you're having a reaction to that you know there's an opportunity there you know and, and you know this is this is what supervision is meant to be mm.
0: you
1: know one of the reasons that psychotherapy seems to sit outside the clinical realm so you can see a psychologist for your 10 sessions or whatever, can't see a psychotherapist. You might get a psychologist who's also a psychotherapist, and if you do, well done, you know. But the thing you're getting is psychology because that's been, to some extent, medicalised. And the reason you don't is psychotherapy is all about exploring your own situation in relationship to another human being, exploring their situation. It's not like here's a bunch of tools about how to think differently or behave differently. Like the gold is in the interaction in psychotherapy. And I think, so if you're having a sort of psychotherapeutic response to someone, then that is an opportunity to go and explore that with colleagues or supervision or reflection, like you say, and go, what's that all about? What's happening there? Because that's really strong. Not bad, strong, intense,
0: mm. not wrong. Mm. When I wrote down the title for this episode, uh I wrote down boundaries, brackets, and love. Ooh. And I don't even know what I mean by that, but I'm thinking about, you know, when you talk about someone getting under your skin and you're thinking about them years later, we have other, we have other words for that in mm. other contexts, you know, whether it's love or even obsession or whatever. Like, people get under our skin. When that happens in a professional context, it's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Because the this, the premise is we've got this, this straightforward interaction where I'm the helper, you're the person in pain. It's all very neat and tidy. But, you know, I think about some of the... Like one guy I think about still years later. The reason I think about him, I think, is he was someone who was just so at the whims of the world. Like he been diagnosed with an intellectual disability. He had had some rough stuff happen to him, been taken advantage of in lots of different ways, was being taken advantage of in, in some ways I thought, even when I was working with mm-hmm. him by by certain powers that be in ways that I couldn't influence. And I think part of it was just like I was so overcome mm-hmm. by his the precariousness of his life and yet also the fucking just joy he managed to bring Ooh. to to <laughs> the world. Like it's this real mix of things and I think I think overcomes a good word. Uh in a way that I don't think I ever really articulated to him and possibly, you know, wish that I had. Um, I look back on it and I think I have I have no idea if I helped him in any way. But sh- but he sure affected me, and I just I don't even know that there's a word for that.
1: Well, I mean, I guess I guess if had you met that person in a different circumstance, you would have had all that humane response. Yeah, and I think right at the start of that story, you're like it was difficult in a professional relationship, and we professionalized essentially a human response to other people's situation and suffering. Yeah. So you take this out of the world that we work in, you know, the, the realm of medicine, psychiatry and mental health systems, you know, there's a whole bunch of people out there doing supportive work for other individuals that they'll call God's work. Or they'll do mm. it from a place of absolute explicit compassion. Yeah. You know, I bet, you know, I'm sure, you know, mother Teresa types would say, yeah, I love all these kids. And I have no qualms about saying it. So if we made Mother Teresa a social worker for those kids, does she stop loving them? Probably not, you know? (laughs) And I do, I think we've kind of really twisted this thing of of that arm's length, it's not about me, it's about you. Um, Sorry, there's a boundary there, I'm not allowed to go beyond that. I think that's at fault. It doesn't really help the listeners who are within those parameters. But in some ways it can because you can go, well, I have a human response to the human beings I'm meeting. I'm not, that's not validated or valued in my work necessarily. You know, yeah. I mean the classic is GPs. Everyone goes to the GP like, give me the drugs. I've paid my money, <laughs> give me the drugs. You know, GPs <laughs> have this huge dilemma that they're seen as transactional. But most of what they know is, you know, it's probably going to be lifestyle or something beyond them. But they have to sort of satisfy that transactional uh, um, expectation. So you think what a GP mm. hears on average every 15 minutes. Oh, uh, Yeah. You know, but they're forced into this almost like drug dealer sort of situation. But they will be having human responses, but not allowed mm. to do it in the room, you know, and that's, yeah. So I think if you have a human response to a human being, it's a good thing. And if you're in a situation that doesn't validate it, it from that perspective
0: yeah i guess i'm thinking it's making me think back to where we started around the kind of um the push and pull of caring not caring too much and finding that sweet spot Ooh. there's something here i think again to kind of as best we can tie it all up and know that we'll probably could talk about this for 10 more episodes and maybe will there's something here about At my most present, I'm able to hear that personal resonance, you know, that personal Mm -hmm. layer, be present in the room with that without being overwhelmed by it, without thinking that it means that you're now my responsibility or whilst also holding the professional space of, of the things I need to do in my job, the things I need to do to, to, uh, provide the service you came here for and all the rest of it. It's kind of, it's almost holding both at once. And naturally at times that will become too much. (laughs) Naturally at times we will pull away from that because it's a lot. And then at other times we'll get it just right. And we'll have that kind of harmony.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: (laughs) So here we are. I think so much of what we keep coming back to with these episodes is it's hard, it's weird. Sometimes you do it really well, sometimes it's harder than others.
1: <laughs> but so you, you went with a neutral thing. It's hard, it's weird. I would say the system we're in is hard and weird. We're not hard and weird. The system we're forced <laughs> to channel, this really natural sense of meeting mm. other human beings and offering some sort of journey along the way, and that's that. Yeah. That's for all professions. Like mm. no psychiatrist I've ever met said, my goal was to sit in a room and diagnose people and prescribe medication. Yeah. They don't start from that place. They get pigeonholed into that place. You know. No psychologist yeah. I've ever met is like, I just want to teach people how to, you know, manage negative thoughts. You know, these mm. all start from this place of I want to help. Mm. I want to, you know, because, you know, particularly psychiatrists, they get much more valued and literally more valued roles in medicine to choose from. So at some point, everybody in the game, bar a very small percentage, are there essentially out of love. Mm. And that slowly gets beaten out of us. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, I'd say if they're under your skin... For me, it's a really positive sign that you've still got some of that natural loving compassion for human Mm. beings. How you manage that, as we've been talking about, is very much a personal quest to find the sweet spot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All (laughs) righty. We'll leave that one there. Thanks for listening. Cool.